Chapter 8 of Through Russian Snows by G.A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Pistol Practice You are a rum fellow, Wyatt, one of the captains of the depot of his regiment said to Frank a fortnight after he joined. How am I rum? Why, about that Russian fellow? I never heard of a young cornet setting to work like a nigger when there is no occasion in the world for him to do so. There is no absolute occasion, perhaps, but you see Russian may be very useful some day. Well, yes, and so might any other out-of-the-way language. It is an off chance, no doubt. Still, it is better to be doing something that may turn out to be useful than to be walking up and down the high street or playing billiards. I don't spend much time over it now. There is a good deal to do in learning one's work, but when I once got out of the hands of the drill sergeant and the writing master, I shall have a lot of time to myself and shall be very glad to occupy some of it in getting up Russian. Of course, it is your business and not mine, Wyatt but I am afraid you won't find things very pleasant if you take a line of your own and don't go with the rest. I have no wish not to go with the rest, Frank protested. When there is anything to be done, whether it is hunting or any sort of sport, I shall certainly take my share of it. But don't you think yourself, Captain Lister, that it is much better for a fellow to spend part of his time reasonably than in lounging about or in playing billiards or cards? I don't say that it isn't better, Wyatt, but that is hardly the question. Many things may be better than others. But if a fellow doesn't go with the run, he gets himself disliked and has a very hard time of it. I used to hear a good deal of the same thing when I was at school, Frank said quietly, but I don't think I was disliked for sticking to work sometimes when other fellows were playing. Surely, when one is from morning till night with other men, it can matter to no one but himself if he gives two or three hours a day to work. It does not matter to anyone, Wyatt. I am quite willing to grant it. But for all that, I am afraid if you stick to it, you will have to put up with a great deal of chafe, and not always of a good-natured kind. I can put up with any amount of chafe. Frank replied. I mean chafe in its proper sense. Anything that goes beyond that, I shall, I hope, be able to meet as it deserves. Perhaps it would be better if I were to take a half an hour a day off my Russian studies and to spend that time in the pistol gallery. Captain Lister looked at him earnestly. I think you will do, youngster, he said approvingly. That is the right spirit. There's a lot of rough fun and larking in a regiment, and the man that goes through it best is he who can take a joke good-temperedly as long as it does not go beyond the bounds of moderation, but who is ready to resent any willful insult. But I think you would be very wise to do as you say. Half an hour in the pistol gallery every day is likely to be a vastly more use to you than any amount of Russian. The reputation that a man is a crack shot with a pistol will do more than anything in the world keep him out of quarrels, here at the depot at any rate, where the fellows are for the most part young. It would certainly save you a good deal of annoyance if it were known that, although not by any means a quarrelsome fellow, you were determined to put up with nothing beyond 
good-humoured jokes. Well, lad, I don't want to interfere with your hobby. Only I advise you not to ride it too hard, at any rate at first. When the men all know you and get to like you and see that apart from this fancy of yours, you are an all-around good fellow, as I can see you are, they will let you go your own way. At any rate, as captain of your troop, I will do all I can to make things pleasant for you. But don't forget about the pistol practice. At a depot like this, where there are half a dozen regiments represented, you will meet with a larger proportion of disagreeable men than you would in your own anteroom. You see, if colonels have such men, they are glad enough to rid the regiment of them by leaving them at the depot. And any serious trouble is more likely to come from one of them than from anyone in your own regiment. I will take your advice, certainly, Frank said, the more so that the time spent in learning to be a good shot with a pistol will be most useful in a campaign, even if there is no occasion ever to pull it to the test when at home. There is a gunsmith at St. Margaret's Street. It is a small shop, but the man, Woodall is his name, has got a long shed that he uses as a pistol gallery a quarter of a mile out beyond the gate. He is an admirable shot himself, as well as an excellent workman, and you can't do better than go to him. Tell him that you want to become a good shot with the pistol and are willing to pay for lessons. If he takes you in hand, it won't be long before he turns you out as a fair shot. Whether you ever get beyond that depends on nerve and eye, and I should think you have no lack of either. I hope not, Frank said with a smile. At any rate, I will see him this afternoon. Put on your cap at once, and I will go down with you, Captain Lister said. And mind, I think if I were you, I should say nothing about it at the depot until he tells you that he has done with you. Knowing that a man is a learner might have just the opposite effect of hearing that he is a crack shot. In a quarter of an hour, they arrived at the gunsmith's Woodall. Captain Lister said, my friend, Mr. Wyatt, who has lately joined, has a fancy for becoming a first-rate pistol shot. He couldn't have a more useful fancy, Captain Lister. My idea is that every cavalryman, trooper as well as officer, should be a dead shot with a pistol. The sword is all very well, and I don't say it is not a useful weapon, but a regiment that could shoot, really shoot well, would be a match for any three French regiments, though they were Boney's best. He wants you to take him in hand yourself, Woodall, if you can spare the time to do so. Of course, he is ready to pay you for your time and trouble, and would meet you at any hour you like to name in the afternoon at your shed. All right, sir, it is a rum thing to me that, while every officer is ready to take any pains to learn the sword exercise, they seem to think that pistol shooting comes by nature and that even on horseback, in the middle of the confusion of a charge, you have only got to point your pistol and bring down your man. The thing is downright ridiculous. It will be a pleasure to teach you, Mr. Wyatt. I should say, from your look, you are likely to turn out a first-rate shot. It won't be for want of trying if I don't, Frank replied. If you will take my advice, sir, you will learn to shoot with both hands. For a civilian who never wants to use a pistol, except in a duel, the right hand is all that is necessary. But for a cavalryman, 
The left is the useful hand. You see, an officer always carries his sword in his right hand, and if he has got to shift it to his left hand before he can use his pistol, he can never use it at all, if hard-pressed in a fight. Another thing is that the left side is the weak side of a horseman. His sword is all right in defending him if attacked on the right, but if he is attacked on the left, he is fighting under a big disadvantage. He has much more difficulty in guarding himself on that side and has nothing like the same reach for striking as he has on the other. That is quite true, now I come to think of it, Frank said, though I never gave it a thought before. Yes, I see that the left hand is the most useful one, and I will practice with that as well as with the other. Well, what hour would suit you? It doesn't make much difference to me, sir. The evenings are getting longer. You can see well enough until five. Well, then, shall we say half past four? Half past four will suit very well, Mr. Wyatt. It is four o'clock now, so if you like to take your first lesson today, I will meet you at the shed in half an hour. You cannot miss the place. It is on the right side of the road and stands by itself, and there is my name over the door. Thank you. I will be there, Frank replied. I may as well come with you, Wyatt, Captain Lister said. I will fire a few shots myself, for I have had no practice for the last two years, and I have a fancy to see what I can do with my left hand. I have never tried with it, and I quite agree with Woodall that it is the left hand that a cavalryman should use. Frank was a good deal surprised at first to see how much more difficult it was to hit a mark, even at the distance of 12 paces, than he imagined it would be. Woodall would not allow him to take aim. You will never get a chance to do that, Mr. Wyatt. In a fight, you have got to whip out your pistol to throw up your arm and fire. It's got to be done by instinct rather than by aim. It is all very well to aim when you are on your feet and standing perfectly steady, but on a horse, half mad with excitement, and perhaps going at a gallop, you could no more hold your arm steady on a mark than you could fly. Put down the pistol for a time. Now you know, sir, when you point at a thing with your first finger extended, however quickly you do it, you will be there or thereabouts, and it is the same thing if you have got a pistol in your hand. You see that black patch on the wall to the right of the target? Now turn your back on it. Now, when I give you the word, turn on your heels, and the moment your eye catches that patch, throw up your arm with your forefinger extended and point to it. When you get it up there, hold it as steady as you can. Now, sir. Frank did as he was ordered. Now, sir. Look along your arm. You see you are pointing very nearly at the center of the patch. You are just a little high. Now try it with your left. There, you see, you are not quite so accurate this time. You are six inches to the left of the patch and nearly a foot high. Remember that it's always better aim a little low than a little high, for the tendency of the hand in the act of pulling the trigger is to raise the muzzle. Now, sir... Try that a half a dozen times, using the hands alternatively. Very good. Now take this empty pistol. No, don't hold it like that. Not one man in twenty, aye, not one in a hundred, holds a pistol right. They always want to get the first finger on the trigger. Now you want the first finger to point with, 
and the second finger is quite as good to pull with. In fact, better, for going straight as it does with the arm, there is less tendency to throw up the muzzle. Now take it like this. You see my forefinger lies along in the line of the barrel? That is the really important point. Get into the way of always grasping your pistol so that the first finger is in an exact line with the barrel. Then you see, just as your finger naturally follows your eye and points at the spot, so your pistol must be in the same line. It is best to have the middle and third fingers both on the trigger and the little finger and thumb alone grasping the butt. You will find that a little difficult at first, but you will soon get accustomed to it and your little finger will rapidly gain strength. And, you see, the hold of your first finger along the barrel helps the other two to steady it. By having the middle and third fingers both on the trigger, you give a pressure rather than a pull to it, and they will soon come to give that pressure at the very moment when the first finger gets on the mark aimed at. Now try it, half a dozen times with the pistol unloaded, and after pressing the trigger, keep your hand and arm in as nearly in the same position so as to see if it is pointing truly at the mark. Very good. Now try with the left hand. Hi there. You see, the hand is not so accustomed to its work, and though you might have hit the target, I doubt if either of the shots would have struck the inner circle. Now we will try with the pistol loaded. Six shots were fired alternately with the right and left hand. Those of the former were all within a few inches of the bullseye, while none of the others went wide of the outside. Very good indeed, the gunsmith said. I don't hesitate to say that in a short time you will become a fair shot, and at the end of three months, if you practice regularly, a first-class one. Your hand is very steady, your eye true, and you have plenty of nerve. Now, sir, I should advise you to keep that unloaded pistol in the drawer of your table, and whenever you have nothing else to do, spend five minutes in taking quick aims at marks on the wall, using your hands alternatively. Now, Captain Lister, will you try a few shots? Taking a steady aim, Captain Lister put his bullets almost every time into the bullseye. But to Frank's surprise, when he came to try quick firing in the way he had himself done, the captain's shooting was much less accurate than his own. It is a question of eye, the gunsmith said next day, when Frank was alone with him. You see, Captain Lister's shooting was fair when he took steady aim. But directly he came to fire as he would in action, and that without the disturbing influences of excitement and of the motion of his horse, he was nowhere. He did not even once hit the target in firing with his left hand. He would certainly have missed his man and would have got cut down a moment later. And even with his right hand, his shooting was very wild. Captain Lister himself was evidently disconcerted, at finding how useless his target practice would be to him in the field. And two or three times in the next week, he went with Frank to practice. He improved with his right hand, but did not seem to obtain any accuracy in firing with his left, while Frank, at the end of the month, came to shoot as well with one hand as with the other. Frank worked steadily at Russian, and although he found it extremely difficult at first, 
soon began to make progress under his teacher, who took the greatest pains with him. He soon got over the good-tempered chafe of the subalterns of his detachment, who, finding that he was at other times always ready to join in anything going on and was wholly unruffled by their jokes, soon gave it up. They agreed among themselves that he was a queer fellow and allowed him to go his own way without interference. At the end of three months, he was discharged from drill and riding school and had thenceforth a great deal more time on his hands and was able to devote three hours of a morning and two of an afternoon to Russian. He was delighted with his master, whom he came to esteem highly, finding him a most intelligent companion as well as an unwearied teacher. Strelinsky, indeed, would have been glad to have devoted twelve hours a day instead of five, could Frank have afforded the time. He was a very different man now to what he was when he had first called at Sir Robert Wilson's lodgings. He looked well and happy, his cheeks had filled down, and he carried himself well. He dressed with scrupulous care, and when Frank had no engagement with his comrades, the pole accompanied him on long rides on his spare charger, he having been accustomed to riding from his childhood. From him, Frank learned a great deal of the state of things in Poland and Russia and gained a considerable insight into European politics, besides picking up a more intimate colloquial knowledge of Russian than he gained at his lessons. Of an evening, Frank not unfrequently went to parties in the town. The gallant deeds of our troops in Spain had raised the military to great popularity throughout the country, and the houses of all the principal inhabitants of Canterbury were hospitably open to officers of the garrison. Many of the young men preferred billiards and cards in the mess room, but Frank, who declined to pay billiards, had not acquired a sufficient skill at cards to take a hand at whist was very glad to accept these invitations. He specially enjoyed going to the house of the clergy in the precincts of the cathedral. Most of them were very musical, and Frank, who had never heard music at Weymouth, enjoyed intensely the old English glees, madrigals, and catches performed with a perfection that at that time would have been hard to meet with except in cathedral towns. After three months, the gunmaker no longer accompanied Frank to his shooting gallery. It would be robbing you to go on with you any longer, Mr. Wyatt. When a man can turn round, fire on the instant, hit a penny nine times out of ten at a distance of twelve paces, there is no one can teach him anything more. You have the best eye of any gentleman I ever came across, and in the twenty years that I have been here, I have had hundreds of officers at this gallery, many of them considered crack shots, but I should go on practicing if I were you, especially with your left hand. It is not quite so good as the right yet, although very nearly so. I will come down once a week or so and throw a ball up to you or spin a penny in the air. There is nothing like getting to hit a moving object in the meantime. You can go on practicing at that plummet swinging from the string. You can do that as well by yourself as if I were with you, for when you once set it going, it will keep on for five minutes. It is not so good as throwing up a penny, because it makes a regular curve, 
but shooting as you do with your back to it and so not able to tell where it will be when you turn round, that doesn't so much matter. What is the best shooting you ever heard of? The best shot I ever heard tell of was Major Rathmines. He could hit a penny thrown up in the air 19 times out of 20. Well, I will go on practicing until I can do that, Frank said. If a thing is worth doing, it is worth doing well. And you will do it, Mr. Wyatt. There is nothing you could not do with practice. There is one thing I wish you would do for me. That figure you have got painted as a target is ridiculous. I wish you would get someone who has an idea of painting to do another figure. I want it painted not standing square to me, but sideways, as a man stands when he fights a duel. I want it drawn with the arm up, just in the same position that a man would stand in firing. I hope I shall never be called upon to fight a duel. I think it is a detestable practice, but unfortunately it is so common that no one can calculate on keeping out of it, especially in the army. Well, sir, you need not be afraid of fighting a duel, for you fire so mighty quick that you would be certain of getting in the first shot, and if you got first shot, there would be an end of it. Yes, but that would be simple murder, neither more nor less. Whatever people might call it, and I doubt whether, accustomed as I am to fire instantly the moment I catch a sight of a thing, that I could help hitting a man in the head. Now what I want to become accustomed to is to fire at the hand. I should never forgive myself if I killed a man. But if ever I did go out with a notorious duelist who forced a duel upon me, I should like to stop a shooting for the rest of his life. So I want to be able to hit his hand to a certainty. Of course, the hand is an easy enough mark. Uh, by getting accustomed to the height and the exact position it would be in, I should get to hit it without fail. Very good idea, sir. The hand is not much of a mark when holding a pistol. Still, it is a good deal bigger than a penny piece, and you should soon get to hit it just as certainly. For the next three months, Frank fired 50 shots a day, 25 with each hand, and at the end of that time, he could hit a penny thrown up by Woodall 18 times out of 20. That is good enough, he said. Now I shall only practice once a week to keep my hand in. Frank had not been without an incentive to gain exceptional proficiency with a pistol, although he got on very well with his comrades of his own depot. There was a captain of a Lancer regiment who had not unfrequently taxed his patience to its farthest limit. The man was a noted duelist and was known to be a dead shot. On the strength of this, he was in the habit of making remarks so offensive that they would have at once been taken up if uttered by anyone else in the barracks. For the last two months, he had made a special butt of a young cornet who had recently joined the depot of the Dragoons. He was a pleasant lad with plenty of spirit and pluck, but he had a slight impediment in his speech, although when giving the word of command, he never hesitated. It was this defect that was the object of Captain Marshall's ill-natured remarks. The lad tried to laugh them off and to ignore the offensiveness of the tone, but he felt them deeply and confided to Frank, to whom he had specially taken, that he could not stand it much longer. 
I never used a pistol in my life until you advised me the other day to take some lessons from Woodall, and of course he would put a bullet through my head, but I can't help that. As it is, everyone must think me a coward for standing it, and at any rate, I can show them that I am not that. Don't you mind, Wilmington, Frank said one day, and don't make a fool of yourself. You put up with it a little longer, and something may occur to put a stop to it. He may go away on leave, or he may get a hint that he had better retire from the service. I have heard that it is likely enough that he will get a hint the next time he has an affair of this sort. The last two were with civilians, and I believe that is the reason why so few accept our invitations to mess. But I fancy if he gets into trouble again with one of ourselves, he will have to go. Well, I will try to go on a little longer, if you say, Wyatt, but... There are no buts in it, Wilmington. You must give me your word of honor that you will go on as you have done. Don't be afraid of anyone thinking you a coward. There is no cowardice in refusing to fight a man who is so much your superior in skill that it would be nothing short of suicide in standing up against him. I have a private reason for believing that it won't be long. In that case, I will give you my word of honor, Frank. A week later, there was an unusually large party at the mess. The depots were very strong, and some 40 officers sat down, and it being a guest night, four or five civilians were present. Dinner went on without incident until one of the mess waiters asked Wilmington whether he would take a sirloin of beef or goose. He replied, B -b beef. There happened to be a slight lull in the conversation at the moment, and Wilmington's effort to get the word out made him raise his voice so that it was generally heard. Waiter, Captain Marshall said lousy, bring me some g -g goose. Wilmington's face flushed and then turned deadly pale. He looked appealingly at Frank, who was sitting next to him. The latter whispered, remember your word of honor. Get up and leave the room. There was a dead hush from those present as the young cornet rose and left the room, and then a low murmur of indignation. Captain Marshall looked round searchingly, as if to pick out one of those who had thus shown signs of resentment. But directly the door closed upon Wilmington, Frank rose to his feet. I wish, Mr. President, he said in a clear, steady voice, to ask you whether the man who, relying upon his skill with the pistol, wantonly insults another, is not a blackguard and unfit for the society of gentlemen. Had a thunderbolt fallen in the room, those present could not have been more surprised. Some of Frank's comrades knew that he often went to Woodall's shooting gallery to practice with the pistol, but they had no idea that he obtained any great skill in its use, and their impression when he spoke was that he must have gone out of his mind thus publicly to insult Marshall. The latter was at least as much astonished as anyone else. He started as if struck with a blow, and then, leaning across the table, he said in a low voice to Frank, who was sitting just opposite to him, Of course you were prepared to answer to me for this, Mr. Wyatt. Certainly, Frank said carelessly, and at any time you please. There was a strange hush in the dining room until the cloth was removed. The guests, under one excuse or another, took their departure almost immediately after the king's health had been drunk. The officers talked in low tones together and very soon rose from the table. "'Will you act for me, Captain Lister?' Frank said, going up to him quietly. "'Certainly, lad. 
but this is a horrible business. If it had been merely an ordinary quarrel, the colonel would have interfered to stop it. But after what you said before us all, and with strangers present too, I'm afraid it must go on. You must be mad, lad. I have not seen you shoot since that first evening when we went down, and two or three times shortly afterwards. Woodall told me you were getting on well, but however well you may have got on, you can't be no match with a pistol for a man like Marshall, and you may be sure he won't spare you after so public an affront. I must take my chance, Frank said quietly. He had himself begged the gunmaker to say little to anyone about his shooting. Come across to my quarters. I suppose he will be sending over there at once. They had just taken their seats when there was a hurried knock on the door, and Wilmington came in pale and agitated. This cannot go on, Wyatt exclaimed. You put me on my word of honor, and then take it up yourself. Don't you see that I am hopelessly disgraced in letting you be Marshall's victim for what he said of me? I shall go to him and insist upon my right to take the matter up myself. Sit down a minute, Wilmington, and be reasonable. If I get shot, you can. If you like, go out and get shot the next day. But I don't mean to get shot. There is one broad distinction between you and me. You can't shoot, and I can. Marshall could kill you without the slightest risk to himself, and I flatter myself that if I chose to do so, I could kill him with the same certainty. I shall not choose to do so. I don't want the blood of any man, not even a ruffian like this, to rest upon my head. I shall simply prevent him from ever fighting another duel. Captain Lister and the young cornet gazed at Frank as if they doubted his sanity. Do you quite know what you are saying, lad? The former said Hat kindly, mess. after a pause, Hat mess. you don't look as if you've been taking anything before dinner, and we know that you are always abstemious. Hat mess. Still, you are talking strangely. I dare say you think so, Frank replied with a smile. You fancy the excitement of this quarrel has a little turned my head, but it has not done so. In the first place, I have learned to be so quick in firing that I am sure to get the first shot. Yes, you might do that, lad, Captain Lister said sadly, but it would be the very worst thing you could do. With a hurried shot like that, it would be ten to one you missed him, and then he would quietly shoot you down. Not only shall I not miss him, Frank replied, but I will lay you any wager you like that I will carry off his trigger finger, and probably the second and third. Feel my hand. You see, I am perfectly cool, as cool as I shall be tomorrow, and I do not think there is anything wild about my eye. It is simple as I say. I am a first-rate shot, probably as much better than Marshall and as he is better than Wilmington. Ah, here is his man. Please arrange for it tomorrow morning, if possible. The sooner it is over, the better. Captain Lister nodded and went out. He returned in a quarter of an hour. It is to come off tomorrow, he said, at six o'clock. It is to be in the field outside the wall on the other side of town. I have told my man to have the dog cart ready at half past five. It did not take us long to arrange matters. His second is Rankin of his regiment, and I don't think he liked the job at all. He began by saying, I am afraid, Captain Lister, that there is no chance of our arranging this unhappy business. 
Nothing short of a public apology and the acknowledgement that Mr. Wyatt was in liquor when he uttered the words will satisfy my principal, and I had great difficulty in bringing him even to assent to that. I said that you had not the most remote idea of making any apology whatever. Therefore, we had only to arrange the preliminaries of a meeting. This was soon done. I could see that the young fellow was very much cut up over the affair, and that he had undertaken to act for Marshall because he was afraid to refuse. It did not take us five minutes altogether. I looked in at the doctor after we separated to ask him to go with us. It is none of my aid you are likely to want, Captain Lister, he said, and I protest against the whole affair. It is nothing short of cold-blooded murder. Still, of course, I will go. And now, lad, let us hear something more about your shooting. It is just as I told you, Captain Lister. I suppose I have an unusually good eye and steady hand, and have a sort of natural aptitude for shooting. Woodall said that he considered me as good a shot as any man in the country, if not better. I'm afraid we mustn't fire a pistol here, or I think I could convince you. No, it, we mustn't fire in barracks at this time of the evening, Wyatt, but if you are... As good as that, the prospects are better than I thought they were. What can you do, lad? I can hit a penny spun up into the air 18 times out of 20 with my right hand and 16 or 17 with my left. Is that so? Well, that ought to be good enough for anything, Lister said. It sounds almost miraculous. Now, let us have a look at your pistols, lad. They are all right, Frank Saint. I was using them this afternoon and cleaned them when I came back. And you really mean to aim at his hand? Frank nodded. Well, of course, if you go a little high or a little low, you will still have him. But if you go an inch or two wide, you may miss him altogether. I would much rather, lad, that you aimed at the body. The fellow has never shown mercy to anybody, and there is no reason why you should show mercy to him. Don't be afraid of my missing him. And Frank spoke so confidently that his hearers felt satisfied he must at least have some good foundation for his faith and his skill. Well, I think you had better turn in now, Wyatt. Will you come across and have a cup of coffee with me before you start? Thank you. Will you mind sending your servant across to call me at a quarter to five? I am not at all good at waking myself. All right, lad, I don't think I am likely to get much sleep. Don't say much to the others when you go off, Frank. You can tell them that from what I say, it won't be such a one-sided affair as they think. All right, I will tell them as much as that, for they are in such a state of mind about it that it would be kind to give them a little consolation. By the way, Captain Lister, do I go out in uniform or in mufti? In mufti, lad, put on a gray or dark-colored suit. Gray is best, but above all, don't take a coat with conspicuous buttons or anything to catch the eye. That would be a fatal mistake. Good night, lad. I shall turn in in better spirits than I expected to do. Wilmington did not speak, but grasped Frank's hand warmly. Don't come out tomorrow, Frank said. I couldn't, the lad replied in a broken voice, but I shall see you before you start. The major will come out with the doctor. Captain Lister said, as, after taking their coffee next morning, they went out to the trap standing at the door. Frank looked round the barrack yard, but no one was about. I sent them all away before you came, Wyatt. The lads all looked so woebegone. 
that I put it to them whether they considered that the sight of their faces was likely to prove your nerve. As to young Wilmington, he was like a ghost. I had almost to threaten to put him under arrest before I could persuade him to go without seeing you. No one will be there but the major. He told me that he considered it his duty to represent the regiment, but he quite approved of all the others staying away. He said the fewer there were present at an infamous business like this, the better. By the way, I made a condition with Rankin that you were to be placed back to back, and neither was to move until the signal was given, and I insisted that this should be by pistol shot, as otherwise you could not both see the signal equally. I said that this was fairer than for you to stand face to face, and would increase the chances of the affair not being a fatal one. Thank you, Lister. I was wondering whether you had made that condition, for if we stood ready to fire, he may draw his trigger before I did, and things might go quite differently from what I had decided on. A bad marksman might hold his fire, but Marshall would rely so implicitly on his skill that he would be sure to try and get the first shot, for if I fired first and missed, he would know that the feeling against him if he shot me down afterwards would be very strong now jump up lad i will take the reins all right the soldier servant standing at the head of the horse released the hold on the reins swung himself up behind as the horse started and they drove out through the barrack gates followed by the eyes of all frank's comrades who as soon as they heard the sound of the wheels ran to their windows and doors to take as they believed their last look at him they had indeed obtained slight consolation from the words with which captain lister had sent them off to their quarters keep up your spirits lads there is many a slip between the cup and the lip and i have strong hopes that the affair is not going to turn out as bad as you fancy end of chapter eight